0: Dude, we are going to energise
1: the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The Independence Keys is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to The Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Kevin Hickson, Senior Lecturer in British Politics at the University of Liverpool, author and editor of a number of excellent political books, including the one that we will be discussing today, the recently released Neil Kinnock, Saving the Labour Party. Welcome to the podcast. Kevin. Hi, thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you on. Now, um, the first question that I'd like to ask is you, you mentioned at the start in the in the start of the book that you have, of course, um written and, and, and edited um these types of books on previous prime ministers, but not a, a leader of the opposition before. What made you decide to do um this book on Neil Kinnock? Uh, yeah, that's
0: right. So three previous books on prime ministers. Uh, John Major and two former Labour leaders, uh, Wilson and Callaghan, um, but this was the first one as you, you say, uh, on a leader of the opposition. But uh, two reasons really. I mean, first of all, I think Kinnock is a very significant figure uh, in the history of the Labour Party, leader of the opposition for uh, nine years, nine very difficult, tumultuous years uh, in the in the Labour Party. Uh, but also, the, the, there's a contemporary uh, significance, I think, to the book in the sense that. Kiddock uh, came to the leadership uh, after the 1983 defeat, which was a, a previous occasion where the, the left of the party had um, been dominant and, and ended up with a significant electoral defeat in '83. simple parallel uh, position with, with Starmer, of course, after the 2019 mm-hmm. election defeat and the, the end of Corbynism.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that I found um, interesting reading the book is that... Um comparative element as you mentioned there between um Starmer and Kinnock. Do you think that Starmer faces the same sort of scale uh, of, of of challenge as Kinnock? Because in the um, interview with um uh, Anthony Seldon, uh, which Neil G- Kinnock gives as, as, as part of this book, um, Anthony asks him about um, whether he, f- he feels he can compare um, what he had to undergo as leader of the Labour Party with what Keir Starmer is is dealing with at mm. the moment. I mean, I mean, how similar do you think the, the comparison really is?
0: Uh, well, there's, there's certainly a similarity there. they I said, both come into power after the Labour Party had a very heavy defeat. I mean, the, the 2019 uh, election result was the worst since the 1930s. Previously, the 1983 result had been the worst since the uh, 1930s. Both facing issues in terms of internal party management. Um, it took Kinnock longer to deal with those. I think the scale of the challenges that Kinnock faced in terms of of, of internal party management were were greater even than, than Starmer uh, has faced. I mean, Starmer faced the the legacy of momentum, but momentum wasn't the same thing as the, the militant tendency, which has successfully infiltrated the Labour Party uh, in the 70s and the early 1980s, which Kinnock uh, had to face, and they had to show uh, great personal courage on occasions, such as the 1985 um, party conference speech, where he took on the, uh, the militant tendency and began the process of, of, of purging the party. Um, also faced, you know, huge electoral challenges, and ultimately, of course, Kinnock uh, didn't make it, he failed to become um, Prime Minister. But if anything, the scale of the electoral challenge which Starmer faces now, I'd argue, uh, is greater because in, back in Kinnock's day, back in the 1980s, uh, Labour was still the dominant party in Scotland. That's no longer the case. Mm. Uh, it's also lost the so-called uh, red wall seats of traditional Labour heartlands in the north uh, and the Midlands, which remain loyal to the Labour Party uh, during Kinnock's period. So uh, in terms of party management, I would say, uh, the problems faced by Kinnock were greater than those uh, that Starmer has faced, but in terms of formulating a successful electoral winning strategy, uh, I would say that Starmer's challenges there uh, are even greater than the ones that
1: Kinnock faced. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, just just going back to that um, interview between uh, Kinnock and, and, and Nancy Seldon, that I thought was particularly interesting is. Towards the end of um, the interview, when um, discussing how uh, the Labour Party ha- would have been different had he not become a uh, leader, uh, Kinnock says, I'm not naturally a nasty bastard, but I was enough of a nasty bastard to do what was necessary. Now, do you think that there is something in that, that there needed to be this sort of, like, real... Uh, edge this ruthlessness in whoever was going to take on the leadership of the Labour Party post-1983 to ensure that it could go on to um, become an an election-winning machine again? Or do you think that the the party would have been able to um, become an uh, election-winning party again uh, had someone who perhaps um, didn't have the same sort of... uh, vitriolic hatred of um, some of his enemies as uh, Kinnock seemed to have.
0: No, I, I think only Kinnock could have become leader in uh, 1983, because he was previously associated with the left. Uh, he'd been a very left wing critic of, of uh, Jim Callaghan's government, which he consistently refused to join. But after the 79 election defeat, uh, he moves away from what became known as the hard left, He was very loyal to Michael Foote, but very critical of, of Tony Benn. And um, the party was the centre of gravity. In the party after the eighty-three election defeat uh, was still very much firmly on the uh, the centre left or the soft left. Um, Hattersley was Roy Hattersley was his main uh, rival for the leadership in in eighty-three. Uh, Hattersley was seen as the right-wing candidate and therefore couldn't really, couldn't win. Um, but Hattersley admitted later on, uh, after the eighty-five conference speech, which we mentioned before, the one attacking the militant tendency. Uh, that they had, after all, the party had, after all, picked the the right leader uh, in 1983, because Hattersey's approach to politics, uh, which is more of a kind of intellectual approach, Hattersey was stronger on the ideas and the policy development, uh, but the actual kind of organisational politics um, that was necessary to defeat the hard left, Um, the the dirty tricks, the, 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 uh, the, the ruthlessness, um, was where Kinnick you know, was certainly uh, strong on that uh, and without that the party wouldn't have recovered
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely um, Just turning to um, Kinnock Socialism which is um, the essay that um, you wrote before yeah. um, the, the book one of the things that I find interesting is that the um, two figures that you pick upon to um, explain um, Kinnock's values as opposed to um, ideology. His his values are R. H. Tawney and Anora and Bevan. Nye Bevan. What do you think those two thinkers have in common, or do you think that they represent two different sides of Kinnock's values, his his beliefs, his sort of like ideological drive?
0: Uh, well, Tawney, I think, is a um, figure who who commands respect across the. Um, ideological spectrum within the, within the Labour Party. But particularly, and, and Neil uh, very often quotes this, the, the, the extract from Tony, which included, uh, in the chapter where he talks about the um, the need to capture the institutions of the state. So um, uh, Kinnock certainly believed that you couldn't achieve socialism uh, by extra parliamentary means or purely extra parliamentary means. It was critical... Of those who thought that you should primarily engage in extra parliamentary protest or uh, trade union uh, uh, action uh, and forget about the need to win a general election, which is the whole um, rationale for Kinnock's modernisation project, uh, recovering the electability of the uh, the Labour Party. Um, Bevan was his great hero, growing up in South Wales in a coal mining community. Uh, Bevan, the great Welsh orator was uh, was was very much a hero figure uh, for um, for Kinnock and, and and for Kinnock's uh, mentor michael foot um as well and and he, he drew on the not only the ideas of Bevan I would say but also the, the political style Kinnock is um, probably the greatest political orator in in my lifetime uh, just as those you know who saw bevan um, in action in the 1940s 1950s. Uh, so that he was the greatest orator of that period.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things, just you you mentioned there, the the idea of um, capturing the apparatus of the state, one of the things that I find interesting is the view that's expressed of the state um, being a a neutral arbiter. It's not necessarily um, either a positive or a negative force. It depends who is in control, who is Mm -hmm. um, the government. Why do you think that that's a view that some... Um, particularly further to the left of Kinnock, maybe on the, the the far left, if you will, uh, see this as sort of like as a, as a problematic view when really you can see it being quite a logical one that the state, you know, acting particular ways dependent on who is uh, in government rather than necessarily it's sort of like having its own innate um, culpability, if you will, or, or, or its own innate... Um, Inability to do the things that they uh, wanted to do.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, two very different views of the state there. It goes back to debates between uh, socialists in, at the end of the 19th century, start of the 20th century. When the Labour Party was formed in 1900, uh, it, it was very much committed to what's usually referred to as the Fabian uh, notion of the state, uh, that the state is essentially neutral between competing political interests. Uh, if a Conservative government is elected, it will do Conservative things, but if a Labour government is elected, it would do uh, Socialist things, and um, that the institutions of the state, the civil service and so forth, uh, would implement the, the views of its uh, you know, political masters. Um, and that view very much inspired the, the Labour Party, just as it did other um, uh, Socialist and Social Democratic parties in uh, across Western Europe, really. Um, that the and, and therefore the Labour Party became committed uh, from a, uh, quite an early stage really to the main tenets of the Westminster model of the British Constitution, the idea uh, that you, the, the first past the post system uh, is beneficial because it's more likely to return uh, majority governments for a single party rather than the more kind of coalitionist uh, politics that proportional representation uh, would would tend towards. Um, so that was very much part of the Labour Party's thinking. It was there with the, with, um, the comments that you mentioned before, Tawny, uh, it was certainly Bevan's view, but across the, the political uh, spectrum of the Labour Party, uh, even after the 1951 uh, election defeat and the long period of opposition it had in not getting back into government again until 1964, really all strands of the, of the Labour Party at that could uh, yeah, maintained their faith uh, in the first past the post electoral system. And that, that, that faith only really began to be seriously questioned uh, after the, the third successive election defeat um, that, that Labour had in, in 1987, where uh, some in the party seriously began to consider uh, changing the electoral system and going down a more, um, potentially more coalitionist uh, form of, of, of politics. Um, on the radical left, you always had a more kind of Marxist inspired view that the state was really a capitalist state. Uh, and even if, um, the socialist political party, in this case the Labour Party, uh, obtained a parliamentary majority. Then it would be stopped by the forces of, of capitalism from introducing uh, socialist policies. And that view was more uh, influential, as you say, on the on the left of the party. But Kinnock of always believed um, that you could implement socialist policies uh, as long as you secured a parliamentary majority. But in order to do that, uh, you needed to. Um, uh, follow public opinion as well as mm-hmm. trying to shape it.
1: In, in, indeed, and, and you mention um, the need to follow public opinion. And in Jeremy Nuttall's um, essay, he focuses very much on Kinnock and the people, and the importance that Neil Kinnock um, felt, as leader of the Labour Party, towards reflecting the views and the beliefs of the people, particularly as those um evolved over the nineteen eighties and people became um arguably more consumerist than they had been um previously though of course you know you can go back to the um the fifties to see the the roots of that as 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 well with um mcmillan mm-hmm. but i I just wonder how important do you think it was that he um shifted the party in the direction that he felt? Uh, people were moving in, rather than perhaps um, maybe uh, argued a bit more on on some of the issues that um, he had felt and that the Labour Party had felt were important for for, for so many years. For example, housing, the right to um, to buy, etc. Do Do you think that perhaps that sh- that softening um, towards that, perhaps not being as as, as hostile towards it, meant a greater acceptance of these ideas in general political discourse and it might have been more constructive had Kinnock um pushed back uh, uh, against those ideas
0: uh well yes I mean Kinnock was always inspired by uh, a belief that the um in the people as so as they really were mm. and he believed he, you know, he had a sense of this from being grounded in uh community life in in South Wales and a direct understanding of how um, working people felt about various issues. And that was then reinforced by the focus on um, following um, focus groups and um, opinion poll data uh, uh, as a guide to developing uh, the Labour Party's policy, particularly after the 87 um, election defeat. And it was, again, very critical of the radical left of the party, who we thought had a... Um, an idealised view of the working class, uh, which which was never really borne out in, in reality, you
1: thought. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and just to focus again um, in terms of Neil Kinnock's um, personality, l- looking forward to the, the 1992 election, which we've, we've not really touched upon um, so much, there were a feeling, some felt that perhaps, um, maybe to... to overuse that um quote from the the west wing let Bartlett be Bartlett that um that there wasn't enough letting Kinnick uh be Kinnick in, in in that 1992 election that perhaps there was a bit too much stage management that sort of jarred with his personality I mean what do you think of that argument do you think that there was perhaps a, a bit too much of that in 92 or do you think that Simply, this is a way that people have tried to explain the 92 defeat rather than it simply being that there was a change in Prime Minister and people were open to seeing how John Major would do in comparison to Margaret Thatcher. Well, it was
0: certainly one of the features of the, of the Kinnock um, leadership, uh, that, that things had to be done more professionally, particularly after the 83 election campaign, which was a it. Um, and in eighty seven, the eighty seven election, um, commentators felt that um, Labour had run the best campaign. It was a much more uh, polished and professional uh, campaign, it, using people like uh, Peter Mandelson who had come into the into the party at that stage. Um, there are a number of gaps, however, in the in the ninety two um, election campaign. Uh, most notably, now the one that's really remembered is is Kinnock's. Yeah, we all all right. Uh, speech at the uh, at the Sheffield rally a few days before the the, the election campaign. Um, so the, the ninety two campaign didn't uh, run as as smoothly as the eighty seven election campaign um, had done, and, and some commentators felt that that was uh, an explanation as to why Labour lost the ninety two election, because the opinion polls had seemed to predict uh, that Labour was going to to win or at least be the, the biggest party in the hung parliament. And of course, that didn't materialise. Uh, the Conservatives won their fourth election uh, in a row, albeit with a reduced majority, but still a a, uh, fairly comfortable uh, majority of over 20 seats. Um, And so people started to look for reasons why uh, Labour had lost the election, why the opinion polls had been wrong, why the election went um, in the way that a lot of people hadn't predicted. Uh, And some blame those short-term gaffes during the the election campaign, but I, I think really the Um, Well, well, certainly one of the other issues, as you rightly said, uh, was that the Conservative leader of change, Margaret Thatcher, had been removed from office uh, against the will at the end of 1990. Uh, She'd been replaced by John Major, in many ways carried on Thatcherite policies, but had a uh, a much softer uh, political style. Um, Kennett was was better suited uh, to being opposed to, to being contrasted with Margaret Thatcher. Um, the the contrast with John Major didn't really um, work so well, uh, and also Kenneth kind of because he changed his mind on pretty much every issue um, during the course of his of his leadership um, in an attempt to modernise the party. He given up on all of the things which he previously uh, subscribed to. Really, come come down to with different views on the economy, on the constitution, um, on nuclear weapons, on, on European integration, and so on. Um, and I think there was a feeling that Labour wasn't really uh, trusted uh, mm. sufficiently in, in the '92 election, and the fact that Kiddock had changed his mind on so much um, fed into that kind of narrative, and, and Labour wasn't trusted um, on the on the economy, and on tax in particular. I think that was the real reason uh, that Labour lost the lost the '92 election. Unfortunately, it then learned the wrong lesson from this, uh, which is that it became certainly. Um, after the death of John Smith in '94, uh, in the run-up to the '97 election, New Labour became uh, very uh, cautious indeed, and, and Blair won a huge landslide. And I don't want to, to um, take away from Blair's achievement, but almost any leader could have won uh, in the '97 election, albeit you know, it might have been a smaller majority. Uh, but Labour
1: could still have had a comfortable majority, could have introduced a more radical uh, political agenda. Mm. And it's interesting you should mention that because that um, in the the Seldon interview that point is is put to him um, by Anthony Seldon. Uh, what it would have been like in ninety seven had Gordon Brown um, been leader, and he suggests that Labour would have still won, of course, but with a, a, a smaller majority. And that perhaps had Gordon been uh, Gordon Brown been Prime Minister in ninety seven as opposed to two thousand seven, he might have had um, a, a bit more uh, self confidence and, and been a bit more. Radical than perhaps um, Tony Blair was. I mean, how truthful do you do you think that is? Do, do you think that Gordon Brown in nineteen ninety seven might have introduced a, a more radical policy had he been prime minister than Tony Blair? Uh,
0: well, as I said before, I think almost any leader could have won the uh, won the election. If Kinnock had somehow carried on, uh, he may well have won in in Had John Smith lived, uh, he may well have won. Uh, he would have won the election um, as well. And, and I'm sure that had Gordon Brown um, not done that deal with, with Tony Blair and, and uh, stood, then he, he also would have won. Um, and he would have been certainly a different leader then, a much more confident leader than he was uh, by the time he, he did become Prime Minister in, uh, in 2007. By then he'd simply been uh, Chancellor for too long and be very damaged by the, the internet sign conflicts that we now know were taking place between number 10, number 11, uh, Downing Street. So I certainly think that Brown would have been a different, uh, would have won the election in in 97, uh, would have uh, been uh, perhaps more radical than than Blair, and certainly would have been a different style of leader uh, than he ended up being um, a decade later.
1: Mm. Um, One of the points that um, I think is um, particularly interesting is the um, essay on um, Kinnock's One Nation socialism, the the idea of um, socialism matched with patriotism. And you see interviews with um, Kinnick now, and and even going back um, previously in a number of years, you will see the importance that he places on that mixture between um, socialism, social um, democratic reforms, and with uh, a a patriotic um, belief in one's country. How much do you think that was a, a contentious point for people in the Labour Party in the 1980s, that mixing of patriotism and and, and socialism. Because certainly if you look at the Labour Party, um, both under Jeremy Corbyn and, and now under Keir Starmer, there seems to be a, quite a stark disconnect between different wings of the party, those who are, are happy to embrace patriotism and... and, and you know um things associated with that and then those who are um quite aghast in it in, in one way or another or who were very much opposed to it
0: um well even during kinnock's period there were those who were critical of of, of the direction of the party um uh, i mean kinnock was certainly patriotic in the sense of uh being a committed uh unionist he deposed uh devolution uh, in the 1970s as, as something that was pandering to. Uh, to Welsh nationalism. We believe that if you were working class in English or working class in Welsh, you still have the same kind of problems and that they could only really be dealt with uh, through the United Kingdom Parliament at, um, at Westminster. All of his cultural references, of course, were uh, Welsh. He was very much steeped in in Welsh politics and Welsh history, um, where where he'd grown up. Uh, I think today the, the Labour Party um, has a does have a, a real problem in, in terms of uh, patriotism, this is something I've written about, um, about elsewhere, the, the, the party became, and again this is one of the changes that came in during Kinnock's period because Kinnock had historically been a Eurosceptic uh, opposed to membership of the EC and ends up um, becoming a pro-European and that change occurred quite quickly but after Kinnock had gone the party continued to become more and more uh, pro-European to the extent that in a 2016 referendum. Uh, it was overwhelmingly uh, remain, um, uh, and there was a clear disconnect between uh, the Labour parliamentary elite uh, and the and, and lots of Labour voters, particularly in more traditional working class areas, the so called Red Wall seats. And you see that over, uh, over Brexit, where the parliamentary Labour Party was overwhelmingly remain, and got lots of Labour voters in those areas were overwhelmingly leave. Uh, you see there are issues such as uh, immigration and so forth. Uh, and I think the party in particular has a has an issue with Englishness. It feels instinctively uncomfortable uh, about England and all things which are deemed, um, uh, deemed English. Uh, and unless it, it comes to terms with that, unless it develops a, a more kind of sympathetic uh, understanding of, of, um, uh, of England and Englishness. Uh, it's not going to reconnect with those voters that it lost in, in 2019.
1: Mm. Um, l- looking at the, the book as a whole, um, you've had, in, in, in the book, you have contributions from uh, Redwood, John Lansman, a variety of people across the political uh, spectrum. Was it important for you when you were um, making the book, when you were editing the essays, that you had contributions from across the Labour Party and even those Outside the Labour Party to give the most diverse um, view and, and, and series of perspectives on Kinnock as possible.
0: Uh, absolutely, that's something that I've tried to do in my other edited books as well, uh, to have people who would be more, who would be more uh, sympathetic to, to in this case, to Kinnock, uh, and those who would be more critical. Whether that criticism be from the um, conservative side of politics, that you mentioned, uh, John Redwood was one of the contributors, and also. Uh, critics on the the left of the party, John Lansman, uh, Hilary Wainwright, who would take a more critical view uh, of Neil Kinnock. So one of the aims with these books uh, is to try to um, have opinion diversity. Uh, And the other is also to bring in a mix of of academics and non-academics, whether they be policy advisors, politicians, um, uh, journalists or whatever. Uh, to try and break down that divide as well between academic and non-academic writers.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, We're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great to speak to you, Kevin, and I have one final question for you. Now, of course, Neil Kinnock's time as leader of the Labour Party uh, coincided with a great blossoming of um, British satire and comedy. And, of course, most popular and most associated uh, with Neil Kinnock is, of course, spitting in image so yeah. my final question to you Kevin is this if you had to own any original spitting image puppet and you have no choice about whether you want to own it or not but you had to own it which original spitting image puppet would you choose to own gosh that's a great question
0: I think the um uh the Roy Hattersley one was was <laughs> iconic wasn't it <laughs> yeah um, so uh, I would say that really
1: yeah, no, I think that's um, an excellent choice. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Kevin. If people want to find out more about the book and more about you, where should they go to find out more about the book? Where can they buy the book and find out more about you?
0: Okay, well, the book's available. Um, it's published by Routledge. It's on their on their website. You can buy it through uh, through Amazon. Uh, and uh, as you said in the the introduction, I work at the University of Liverpool. Uh, so I'm on the, the website there and also on, on Twitter.
1: Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Okay, brilliant. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Podcast. Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.